Today's episode of The Road Taken with CT and Bayo is presented by State Farm. State Farm agents know that in life, anything, literally anything, can happen. You might buy your dream car on impulse. Or come home to a broken-in apartment. Maybe say yes to a proposal from your significant other and start a family. Or find yourself in a fender bender when you least expect it. Whatever happens when it comes to home and auto insurance, State Farm agents are there to help. And with over 19,000 agents in neighborhoods across the U.S., there could be one right around the corner. So contact an agent today. Because no matter what neighborhood you're from or whatever stage of life you're in, check out statefarm.com today to find an agent in your neighborhood. State Farm. Talk to an agent today. Hello, friends. Welcome to the fourth episode of The Road Taken with CT and Bayo, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Bayo. And I'm CT. And today we are talking to our very first rapper guest and producer, of course, and DJ, the legendary Havoc of Mob Deep and many other things. Yeah, we talked to Havoc in New York City. And this was, I know there's been a lot of MSG talk so far. It's, We're going to move past it eventually with the project. That's true. This is a little bit more just kind of like date and time sort of stuff. But we talked to him the day before we played MSG. Um, he had great advice for us. We won't give it away yet, but he really, I kept his advice in mind when we were playing there the next day. It's a real good kicker to the convo. It's going to come up real nice. So that also means that if you hear a few uh, police sirens and Street noises in the background, it's just that city living. Yeah, there was definitely that gritty New York City vibe that you can hear in the audio quality. What are things that you like thinking back to that conversation that really stuck out with you? Well, I was excited for this for a few reasons, but I think the biggest one was most of the conversations we'd had before Havoc had been people whose experiences, and and mainly in terms of being in a band or playing instrument-based shows sort of stuff, that the genre that he came up in that he toured in, that he has existed in, that he still exists in, is notably and demonstrably different than the ones that I and you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably have a little bit more similarities because you you have a DJ side as well. But yeah, I, I think that talking to someone, the whole concept of putting on a show, what a what a hip hop show means, uh, that to me was the most interesting thing, and, and I hope we found some some commonalities. He's also been through so much, and I really felt like I learned a lot from him in the time we spent together. Just like a gracious, funny, warm person. And he's been through horrifying things. You know, he had toured the world with a partner who had a very serious illness, sickle cell anemia. And, you know, Prodigy passed away while they were on tour a couple years ago. And that was tragic. And um, we talk a little bit about that in the podcast And also just kind of learn what first shows are like. What is it like to start touring when you have made two albums already? That's He said, you know, they played their first show after they had already put out two records. It's fairly wild and, you know, quite different from what we we went through. On the other side, though, in that sort of era when, when they were starting out and first figuring out how Mob Deep what sort of live experience that would be. Uh, I did find probably the the most similar thing that uh, that he described which I remember very well, of when people want to come see you play, but at that time in your career or in your development or whatever, you only have 
so much material to present yeah. to them. And he describes a few shows and a few reactions that were negative that while I think some of the specifics were different, the energy was the same mm-hmm. where, you know, of playing a really short set of people coming out to see you. And, you know, let's say, uh, I don't know why this one comes to mind, but at the MFA in Boston, yeah, yeah. that little theater, yeah, it was like a theater, you know, a couple yeah. hundred people. And we gave it all we had and we topped out at what, like 43 minutes? Yeah, yeah. In that range. Yeah, that was short. I ate a really spicy burrito before that show. <laughs> Story time with CT. <laughs> oh, uh, yes, you did. That's I, my I memory that. of yes. that day. I was you're normally, uncomfortable. You're normally the king of spice, but that one kind of took you down. I do remember that being a painful experience for you. That wasn't why I thought of it. I was glad that that was 43 minutes. I would have cut 10 minutes off that set. <laughs> Easy. But he's also our first guest to have produced a Kanye West song. He talks a bit about that, about going out to Calabasas. I thought that was very cool to hear about. And I don't know, what else? What else do you want to say about this stuff? Um, I guess on a personal note, I'd like to give a shout out to my neighbor, Roberta. Yeah, actually, this is okay. (laughs) You may think, listener, that there's an entire army of people booking this show. We got an incredible producer. Shout out to Isaac. We're getting all this great help from The Ringer. But so far with this season, it's mostly personal connections that we are using to get these wonderful people to talk on microphones with us. So, CT, how on earth did you get legendary artist Havoc to appear on the road taken with CT and Bayo? My neighbor in Brooklyn. Okay, well, yeah, so tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, when I moved to Bed-Stuy in 2014, I believe, I was excited to meet my neighbors. And, and on the east side, my east side neighbor was mm-hmm. this delightful woman named Roberta. She's originally from Italy and had lived there for a decade plus. And we got to talking and I found out that she had a number of great stories that I'm not sure if I'm at liberty to share, but Mm -hmm. she had been a music publicist and still is a music publicist. And she represents Mob Deep and now represents Havoc. A lot of her best stories though, I think she worked for, um, was it Jive in the Britney? Uh, Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that would have been Jive. She said Britney's very sweet, but there, there's okay, some, nice. she has some great stories from sort of that, good to hear. a very peak record, yeah, record yeah. industry era stuff. Um, but yeah, so my neighbor, Roberta, was able to, to hook it up. To hook it up. And I guess you also, you found her, she was good to get advice whenever you were wondering about things or like going through things. And I spent a lot nice. of time at her kitchen table, yes. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I think that's really, really nice to have that as a resource, having a neighbor that's a, will lend you their ear. And then to bring it full circle, you connected with Havoc when he walked in the room by talking about oh, yeah. your Westchester bona fides. Yeah, this was off mic. I mean, we were doing some, we were creating what would have been some podcast. It would have been yeah. a podcast gold if the mics had been rolling, but um, we both would hang out at the same malls. Mall, in White, malls, in, yeah. in, in, There are two malls in White Plains, uh, not too far from where I grew up. And, um, you know, I would love to hang out in a mall with Havoc after like the time that we spent. You know, we kicked it for about a little over an hour and uh, I think we, we could have fun in a mall. So anyway, here is our conversation with Havoc from Mob Beat. To start, Havoc, you are the first rapper to be on this podcast. I feel honored. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. That is focused on touring. And I guess for us, like a lot of the people we talk to, when they start out, you pick up a guitar, you like lug your amp to your first gig, you yeah. play your first show, you set up your drum set, all that shit. Right. But I'm curious when you like, start producing or start rapping? What are your earliest like performance memories? What's the first time you got up on a stage? Oh man, one of the very first times that we ever performed on stage, 
I remember uh, being in like Rochester, New York somewhere. And this is like one of our very first shows. And I remember like, like kind of like a gate kind of like blocking the stage for the audience to get in. And I'm saying to myself, like, why is there like a, a gate? Like, like a barrier? Like a barricade, okay. like, but yeah. it was like on the stage. And then I, we quickly found out why I was there. And uh, we started performing. And next thing you know, somebody from the crowd like threw a drink in my face. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, we started throwing chairs back at them. And then they chased us out of the venue. That that was what okay. uh, first. That's your first. <laughs> Wait, so had you made, had you put out the, that first record on Fourth and Broadway at that time? No, so, that, yeah. that was when we was working on the Infamous album. Okay. The Fourth and Broadway album, we really didn't do too many shows for that one. Right. You know what I mean? We was just getting in and. You know, we didn't do too many performances. Yeah, because I'm curious then. You would have been like recording and working on music for years before you walked out on that stage for the first time and then had people throw things at you. Right, which felt really strange, you know what I mean? But uh, we got through it. It was all good. It was, it was a learning experience, you know what I mean? We never did that uh, intro again because I think that's what pissed them <laughs> Wait, so off. The, the fisticuff started... During an intro, not even like that deep into a show. Right, we wasn't even deep into <laughs> the show. Start. Okay. What was the intro? Well, there was this uh, Mary J. Blige song that was out like back at the time, my life or looking to my, whatever the song was. So we took the the words and we like changed them to our words, like you know, rearranged the words. And we used to be like, if you look in the crowd, you see what I see, a lot of shook motherfuckers. And then I guess they was like, what? <laughs> You're coming into our town. <laughs> right, yeah. right. We thought it was cool, you know what I mean, to talk like that, but obviously, you know, <laughs> we pissed somebody off. And then, so after that, like, how soon did you start touring regularly or playing shows? So you're working on the infamous, you're gigging mm-hmm. a little bit. Where else are you going other than like Rochester? Oh, um, man, we was going all over the United States, you know what I mean? Because the record had like taken off, you know, the infamous record. So uh, we just started doing like spot dates and even like went to Canada. Like that was the first time in my life ever going to Canada, you know. So the first time you left the country? That was the first time I ever, ever left the country. So do you remember where that, where that gig was? (laughs) Um, It's okay if you don't. Toronto. Toronto. Nice. Toronto. Toronto was the first spot we did in Canada. I guess when you're when you were starting out and like learning to produce and learning to rap, was the idea of traveling, of going to like another country, was that something you thought about, or were you just really thinking about the music? I was really just thinking about the music. I didn't really think about going to other countries first because there was states that I never even been to. Like you know what I mean? Like down south, in my head, I thought might as south well, might as well have been a foreign country, <laughs> right? Exactly. Because in my head, I thought you know the whole south was nothing but like dirt roads, and you know what I <laughs> oh, mean? Oh, like truly backcountry sort of stuff, <laughs> right? Like that's how I, I pictured it in my head. So other countries didn't even enter my brain yet. You know what I mean? Was there because you had a couple years to say of, of producing and working on records, and at that time, as you were getting more and more in in the industry and and meeting more people. Did you see any shows or see any people perform that were that you and Prodigy took as examples or something that you wanted to, an energy that you wanted to create? Well, you know, our label mates was the Wu-Tang, you know what I mean? So early on, watching them perform was like just something else, like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, we never really performed that much, but to see them perform and the energy that they was giving kind of gave us a template of 
how would we want to perform? And even before that, me and Prodigy had uh, attended a show that Naughty by Nature was doing in the Apollo was just, oh, wow. it, it blew me and him away because we just couldn't stop talking about it, you know, to see Tretch on stage giving that kind of energy. So we did see a couple of shows that gave us an idea of how we should perform. We uh, played a festival in Denmark with Wu-Tang over the summer <laughs> and got to see them. It was right. definitely a trip for me to be an artist catering and see like Ghostface and RZA sitting down right. and having like the family meal. It was a... Pretty amazing. Wait, they was having a family meal on stage? No, no, no. Backstage oh, in the catering. No, no, oh, I would love it. They oh, could do that. that. <laughs> I would pay money to watch that on a stage too. But no, no, it was just like seeing, right, you know, right, growing right. up the listening vibe. to them, the vibe. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I could imagine. For real. Because, you know, those guys, you know, they when they get on stage, it's just crazy. Just to be around them, you, you, you feel that energy. That's interesting because there was a clip I was watching of you guys performing in 95, so pretty early. Yeah. Where... Even though it's just the two of you with microphones, uh-huh. there is probably fifteen people on stage. <laughs> right, so was, right. And the, you know they were wearing Mob Deep stuff, but right. was that was that an idea of even if it's just the two of you performing to get more of a Wu Tang feel or something to have more people, more bodies on stage? You know what? It is funny because during that time in that era in '95, I think all the hip hop acts, whether it was just maybe one rapper or two. They used to just bring their whole neighborhood on stage because everybody's just so happy. You know what I mean? This is, you know, the record broke, the record sounds good. So everybody was just bringing so many people on stage. And I think that was just the thing. But Wu Tang, they had like nine members already. So it looked like the whole neighborhood was on stage already. You know yeah. what I mean? Would you bring the neighborhood on tour with you? Oh, man. Hell no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Hell no. I mean, we've been there. We 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 did that. And like the neighborhood means well, but the neighborhood is not meant to go on tour. You know, what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> because at the end of the day, y- y'all know y'all musicians mm-hmm. and, and y'all seasoned. You know that it's music and it's fun, but it's also business. You know what I mean? And a lot of people can become liabilities if you bring too many people. On the road, you know what I mean, and you 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 kind of learn that over you, time. I was gonna say, did you learn that from a personal experience, or I mean, too many personal experiences. <laughs> you know what I mean, like fights being started, um, things going missing, you know, or, or or somebody just talking to somebody that's working on our behalf in a reckless way. You know, somebody's there to work for us, and one of the crew is just not feeling something, and you know, just friction mm-hmm. between people that work with you. And the people from your neighborhood. It's just sometimes it, it just don't go together. I guess when you started touring, did you kind of fall in love with the lifestyle? Did you would you miss like being home in the studio making beats? Or like how did you feel? Because, you know, like you said, it wasn't something you were necessarily thinking about when you started up, but mm-hmm. then obviously it probably became a huge part of your life. Yeah. Um, I loved it. You know what I mean? If I could, I would have stayed on the road for like a year at a time. You know what I mean? Just to be away from home, you know what I mean? Just traveling different places and, you know, the love that you get when you're on the road, you know what I mean? You you can't compare it to being at home and you occupying yourself with doing stuff. So I never used to miss home early on, like back in the days, because, you know, it wasn't really nothing to go to Yeah, for us. So it was like, yo, was, and we getting paid for it. So it was all good. So during like the infamous era, what would you say was your longest stretch on tour? 
Um, during the infamous era, I, I would say our longest stretch probably would be like two and a half months. Oh wow! Yeah, oh, something wow. like that, like two and a half. Now that'll make you homesick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean. And Somewhere then, on that five week cutoff is kind of the max for one run. Right after you know five weeks, it's like all right. It start feeling redundant. You like doing the same thing over and over and over again, and you eating crazy horrible. You know what I mean? You just eating whatever <laughs> you can get your hands on. You know, but was, was that all in the states at this point? All in the states. You know, overseas is just a, yeah, <laughs> it's a whole other animal. Yeah. It's like you really got to fend for yourself when you're overseas because the food is just different. <laughs> when did you When did you start traveling overseas and going to other countries? Um, I would say like. Maybe a year after the infamous album dropped, mm-hmm. we we started going to like different countries, to Europe, to the UK, all of that, Japan, and you know all those yeah. fun places. I think, and especially for you guys, because your music is so rooted in where you came from and, and the neighborhood, as you're saying, how did you guys find? Did you alter your performance style, or even just in general, how did you find performing that music for, let's say, in a non-English speaking country, or mm-hmm. or so far from home, just? To, you know, conceptually. You know what? We just did the same thing that we would do at home and kind of like ignore the fact that maybe they don't speak English. You know what I mean? Yeah. We yeah. was just like, fuck it. Why would we, we do it any different? It's like, <laughs> hey, either they here, so we just going to, you know, perform That's like we point. perform at home. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, fuck it. It was fun, man. And what are some of your, like, standout memories of that time like going to Japan for the first time I think for every musician that's always right. a big one just because it feels so different like, from you know home but for you what about that stuff oh man you know going to Japan it was like super duper fun you know what I mean it's like I never thought that I'd be there you know at the time it's a real culture shock you know what I mean as y'all know, as y'all know. it's like super duper culture shock but it's amazing though to see that you would have fans so far away, like you know what I mean. Um, we appreciated it. It was one of those places like you kind of don't want to leave when you first get there because you just want to take it all in. But yeah, we enjoyed it. At that point, how many people are in your like touring party? Uh, What's the crew? Okay, the crew. It, we really yeah broke it down. Um, <laughs> the crew probably was about I would say like six of us. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Not not too many, like six. Me, P, road manager, security, one or two hype men, and that's it. Did you always travel with security? Um, you know what? We didn't always travel with security. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Until like later on, things probably got like a little iffy. You know, what I mean? rather be safe than sorry. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Were there times where you were like? Oh, thank God that security is here. Um, you know what? Fortunately, that never never happened. Like where we was like, damn, thank God the security was here. Um, things happened when the security wasn't there, wishing that security was there. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like what? The, yeah. Uh man, one time we was in the UK in Manchester and we performed, and I guess some guy backstage that was from out there who was like six feet eleven. Didn't like the show, wanted his money back, and just started like, y'all want my money back, and blah, 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 blah. And started like beefing with Alchemist, looking at Alchemist's chain. We don't even got security. And the dude is telling Alchemist like, yo, 
I want your chain. And we looking at him like, what? You're like, you crazy. Like, we was like, yo, who is this guy? Do anybody know who this guy, who is this guy with? And everybody's just like whistling with their heads in the air. We like, because they must have been scared of him or something. And um, ultimately, they they kind of like pushed him out the back door and, and got him out away from us and outside. Those are one of the times when I'm like, wish we had security around to be like, yo, just like get the dude away from us. But, you know. Do you remember the, did he have any specific complaints about wh- why was he demanding his money back um, or in you know lieu what? of money I, to chain? I, I, I kind of felt what he was saying. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> he had a point. He had a point. Okay. He All had right, a what point. Was point? Yeah. But it's the way that he was saying it. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like. He thought that we performed not long enough. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. You know what I mean? And we had probably performed for like 45 minutes. Usually we perform for like an hour and 10 minutes. But for some reason, we just didn't perform that long. And I understood what he was saying. You know what I mean? But the way he came at us, it was like, nah. And, you know, Prodigy, when when it was time for us to leave, he was like actually waiting outside next to our vehicle. And, uh, you know, Prodigy grabbed some kind of contraption off the ground, like some kind of metal thing, and ended up hitting a dude in his face. Whoa. <laughs> like, Whoa. really, had blood gushing everywhere. I'm like, yo, we out of here. We jumped in the van, and then he started standing in the middle of the street like he's about to shoot at the car. We like, hurry up. We switched hotels. It was a whole big thing. It was crazy. And I'm assuming you haven't, you performed for an hour or 10 minimum in Manchester ever yeah, since then. Yeah, ever since then, it's like, yo, matter of fact, let's give him an hour and a half. Like, <laughs> yeah, okay, little cushion. Little cushion. For real. That's actually, I mean, not the 6'11 gentleman demanding our chains necessarily, <laughs> but we had, for Vampire Weekend, had a similar thing early on of balancing when you have a short set, when you only know so yeah. many songs only have a certain amount of time and yeah. what people expect out of a concert. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough sometimes when, when we had like, at most 40 minutes and you give all you can. I think our complaints were registered in a, in a maybe a subtly different ways, (laughs) potentially. One interesting tour that I wanted to ask specifically about, which is maybe a couple years later is you guys are on the second edition of the family values tour Mm -hmm. in 99. Mm -hmm. Can you, Mm -hmm. can you describe what your experience was like on that? (laughs) Yo, that was crazy. Cause that was the first time that we ever performed stadiums. Okay. You know what I mean? Because before it had had mainly stayed in clubs and Yeah, just like club gigs here Mm -hmm. and there, like a theater maybe there, but stadiums and like, that was crazy. That was crazy. And I I think we only got the gig because somebody dropped off the tour. I think it was, might have been DMX or something like that. Okay. If I'm not mistaken. And they gave us a shot. You know, they put us on the tour. And I didn't even hear of uh, Limp Bizkit before that. You know what I mean? I was just so stuck in what I was doing. But to see them performing and how huge those dudes was, I was like, holy shit. I was like, who? (laughs) (laughs) So you you were watching from the side after you performed. Because there was a number of bands. Where in the lineup were, were you guys... Uh, we was like somewhere in the beginning, okay. like you know, they just slapped us like maybe the third act to go on, second act to go on, but we gave it our all though. We we performed our heart out. Well, I think because that's interesting. Also, is because we've had a, this experience a few times too of a long thing 
of a long bill right. in a huge place. And if you're on the right. early side, right. the huge place is not necessarily no, full. It, it don't look that good sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so how how is that for you guys where you're in this huge place? Uh-huh. Also that in particular is probably an audience you're trying to win over as much as are there for you specifically. Right, right. Like, so we just totally knew that nobody wasn't there to see us. You know what I mean? But our whole thing was that we're going to perform the fuck out of this crowd so they could go home and be like, yo, we saw this group, Mom D, like, let's buy the album. You know what I mean? And it did good for us because we picked up some new fans along the way, you know, that we otherwise wouldn't have had. So do you have any good, particularly, I don't know, because we were, we were young. I was a young teenager at that point. I didn't see the Family Values Tour, but that tour was one of the first ones I feel like was really like the amount of bands on a single bill and stuff was like always kind of like, fa- I've always been fascinated by that tour. Mm-hmm. Do you have any good family values stories that uh, you're legally allowed to share? <laughs> I mean, you know, other than the groupies that was there, it was just like, you know what I mean? It just was a total crazy experience. It wasn't like nothing that really stands out other than I could say that that was the first time we used props on the stage and we used to have like these gates on stage and that was that was like, you know, our breakout moment, like, yo, we really performing now. We coming out in jail suits and <laughs> handcuffs. It's like a play. It was real theatrical, trust me. <laughs> was that specifically for the family values that it you came specific, with the set? Yeah, okay, it was nice. specifically for that. Cause we was like, yo, we going on this tour, it's gonna be big. It's a stadium. We got to really fucking perform now. Like, was that the only tour you used props for? Um, I'm sure. Like, we did a couple of, you know, years later, we did tours where we did bring props on stage. But it was just like, yeah, yeah, background of where we was from, Queensbridge Projects and stuff like that. And we used to bring it with us. I guess going back to Queensbridge, I, I listened to another interview with you where uh said that your dad was a DJ. Would he gig yeah. a lot when you were growing up? Gig around the city? Um, he only gigged in the house. You know, oh, what I mean? oh, that, okay. yeah, that, that was okay. it. He was like in in the house DJ, blasting the music. You know, did you enjoy his sets? Um, it was all disco music. You know, I, I I picked up a couple of favorites. You know, you could ring my bell and all of these other different songs. It really uh, caught my ear to music. You know what I mean? Because he yeah. used to like it was bedtime for us, but then he would just be blasting his music, and that's where we would go to sleep to. You know what I mean? So my ears are still ringing. <laughs> do you feel like that informed your production like D- DJing your dad's DJing definitely you know because as I started realizing because this was like when I was like five and you know years old that I could remember it but as I got older and I started getting into music and paying attention to it I was realizing that yo my father was DJing it and I, and I had a favorite song that he used to always play so I always paid attention to music and um, it stuck with me what he was doing he made us aware of music. Do you ever DJ now? Curious. Yeah, I, I DJ here and there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, people be booking me to DJ. They think I'm a DJ, but I'm not really a DJ. <laughs> you know, I just go home, study it. Then, you know, I go out and, you know, DJ. But I DJ every now and then. How do you find it? I, I DJ as well. I, I, I love how, it. How, how do you, 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 I love it. Yeah, it's right. super fun. I mean, sometimes I'll have like awful gigs where... <laughs> People don't show up, which certainly doesn't happen it when I'm playing yeah. bass. But um, right, right. I, I kind of like that as well. But yeah, like what would have been memorable times when you've DJed recently? Or how did you get into it even? Just people offered to book you and then you took it up? 
you know what? Sometimes I sit around my house and I just think like, I just be wanting to do different things. You know what I mean? And I was like, shit, let me try to DJ. So, you know, I just bought some turntables and it was uh, harder than I thought it was. You know what I mean? It wasn't as easy as it looked. It, it's a real fucking job. You know what I mean? So and, all those years you were performing, you you thought the guy behind you was sort of whatever. Yeah. I, th- I just thought, <laughs> yeah, whatever, like, okay, yeah. yeah, let's just pay him that. You know what I mean? And he's just a DJ. Nah, <laughs> that shit is a serious job, you know? And, you know, because to make the crowd react, it's, you know, like performing, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's the same exact thing. So I enjoy it, you know, and I practice every now and then just to make make sure I'm sharp with it. But I get booked to DJ because people think that I... Because I'm a producer, they probably automatically assume that I DJ, but that wasn't the case. As you toured more and more, can you talk if if in any ways that the performing live and sort of performing to bigger places in the stadiums and such, if that reverse informed the stuff you were producing in the studio? Where you saw what beats did what, what mm-hmm. rhymes did what, that sort of stuff. It, can you talk about that connection? Oh yeah, that's a guarantee. So when you in the club, right? Like when we first started putting out records, I would go to the club and see which records the crowd would react to. Not mine, but just records that was out. And then performing, when you performing your own music, you seeing which songs the crowd is reacting to the most. So like you said, you know, it gives you information. And then uh, when you go home and you're trying to make music, you kind of like trying to, recreate that feeling what you know that the crowd might like i guess yeah there's one very specific drum beat that i came up with for our second album that i had in my head i was like oh this is going to be great at festivals i'm not sure if it necessarily is but there was like one (laughs) i think it is do you know which one i'm talking about i do maybe i don't what song run yeah okay okay great one that one crushes (laughs) and you you had that and you had that in your mind well uh we're just sort of I can't, I don't remember the specific like moments when right. that happened, but when we were the song was coming up for our second album after you know touring for eighteen months, experiencing European festivals, experiencing mm-hmm. bigger clubs and mm-hmm. things. But yeah, there was just like a certain beat that was maybe a little simpler, almost mm-hmm, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. not like dumb simple, but sort of in a way that was like a little just a little bit more people could track to either. Yes, yes, I know what you mean. That uh, the, yeah, that I just sort of like that was the idea, and then as if I could take my. My rhythm section mate's word for it, it has worked. <laughs> and I take his word for it. <laughs> I'm curious, like, when did Mob Deep's touring slow down or, or what, you know, like, I guess through Family Values, all that stuff, I imagine those, you know, five years were pretty crazy. Yeah. But like, what what were the, were the 2000s like for you guys and for you? Yeah, the 2000s, the music started changing, you know, like, as far as like hip hop was concerned, started moving to a different region of the country. And could you feel that? Totally. I could hear it. Yeah, or, you know, on the radio, like yeah. it was just like just the landscape was just changing, right? So we was like hanging on. We had a nice catalog to you know to back us up to try to still keep us in there. But in the two thousands, it definitely started changing, and the record company that we was on, Loud Records, that we was a part of for this whole time, they folded and went out to went out of business. 
right? So they go. What year is that? You think? Uh, it was like 2000, 1999, because mm-hmm. we just released the album Infamy. Loud Records went out of business, and it was like, damn, like, all right, we don't got a home now. You know what I mean? So everything was just really peculiar. So shows started slowing down. You know what I mean? Because now it's like a new wave of artists coming out there. We already like five years in the game and you already like yeah. a vet. Like, you're, what are you, like 23 years old at this point? 24? Right, like, yeah. yeah, right? Yeah. It's like you old school now. You know what I'm saying? So things definitely started slowing down a lot. I was home a lot more. And uh, like we was talking earlier before we even started the podcast about like when you on the road and when you come home and how you miss it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we was definitely missing that, like being on the road and just, you know, seeing different things. And, you know, when that when that slows down, it kind of gets you down a little bit. Did you try to counteract that by putting your efforts into making music that you thought would get you back out there? Or was it a case of, because some, maybe this is more of a, of a band mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. but sometimes if if there's like a, less busy period, sometimes the way to get through it is to go out there and, and tour more. Right. And to connect with the fans you have and, right. and shows themselves are a way of rebuilding and reconnecting. Right. So, you know, what I always used to do throughout my career is I listened to other artists and I listened to all their music, you know, from the first music that they made until the end of their career. And what I came up with is always, it's the best music is the first music that they ever made. And then you start hearing them towards the end of their career. They trying to sound like what's current and what's going on. Now, I wasn't around in the 70s, you know what I mean? Listening, but I could tell which music was better and how that some of the 70s artists tried to convert to the 80s. Okay. And it just didn't really, most of it didn't sound good. You know, their best work was like their first work. So I never wanted to, to you know, be a part of that. You know, maybe I could have, overcame that maybe I might have been a different case but I don't think so because a lot of artists I I just felt like that so it was tough but we just kind of had to like kind of stick to the music that we was doing maybe we was putting ourselves in a box but that's the way I felt what seems like maybe there was a certain there's probably a certain period where after you're known and and you you have success that there's the next wave or whatever comes in and because you're the immediately preceding wave you've got to give it a few years but I feel like you guys had a real touring renaissance in like after 2010 in the in 2012 2013 yeah. where you really hit a lot of european festivals yeah. and really and in a way where where people could look at you as as icons i would say yeah i mean you we was fortunate for that you know what i mean really lucky because you know early on in our career we really didn't get a chance to really really hit europe like how we were supposed to you know what i mean for whatever reason it was yeah, it, it, were there reasons for that or I just think it was like kind of like bad management. You know what I mean? I mean, because it all falls on management when you're touring. You know what I'm saying? I just think that they didn't, nobody really pushed for us to really be out there like that. So I think it was a a hunger by the fans for us to kind of be out there at that time, regardless if the music was like 15 years old or whatever. Is there ever a show where you don't play Shook once? There's never a show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. There's never, nah, there's never, I, I don't even, if I want a drink thrown again in my face or a chair <laughs> thrown at me, right. I won't perform that song, right? Like, so nah, we we definitely do that yeah, all the time. In Manchester, too, you have a guy come Forget backstage about it. again <laughs> 20 years later. I'm trying to go home. Yeah, yeah. 
might be about you, Sunday show. Cause ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. Scared to death and scared to look, they shook. Cause ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. I'm curious, and I know you've been asked about this like a million times, but with traveling the world with your partner, Prodigy, being sick, having sickle cell mm-hmm. anemia, mm-hmm. was that something that would give you like anxiety? Would you constantly be worried about him? Like, Because I know it would flare up periodically mm-hmm, on tour. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Does that, in a way, like take some of the romance out of touring when you know that can happen, that stuff happens? You know what? We were so used to it that it was like, it could happen at any given moment. I mean, of course, it could let the air out of your balloon when you want like a major tour or something major is happening and your partner gets sick. But at the same time, you know, I couldn't be selfish and be like, damn, you know what I'm saying? We can't perform. It's like, my bro is really sick. Like, you know what I'm saying? So we just had to take that with a grain of salt. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, some a lot of shows that sometimes, not a lot, but, when he would get sick, we just wouldn't do the show and just be like, I either got to get canceled and he got to get better. So, yeah, it would it would take the romance out of it a little bit. But at the end of the day, you got to think about, you oh, know. Of course. Would, would, do you feel like the fans understood? Totally. You know, I, I think they really, because we didn't get no pushback. Like, That's you know beautiful. what I mean? It's like, yo, Prodigy sick? Prodigy sick. You know what I mean? Ain't nobody like, yo, this is fucked up. Like, everybody was understanding when it came to that. Has it been, because I know that you were just on tour in South America and yeah. Europe. You were just, yeah. How has it been in the few years since Prodigy's passing? How have you, particularly because he passed on tour, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. I can only imagine how that would affect your yeah. experience and how you would think about that. Yeah. Um, how, how has it been for you recharging or reapproaching or even just getting back out there on, uh, you know, performing? To be honest with you, it just always feels weird now. You know what I mean? Mm. I mean, like, look, I've done shows by myself, you know what I mean, on a, on a solo run, and uh, P has done the same thing. But to know that he's never going to be there again, it just it just feels super-duper weird. You know what I mean? And in the beginning, I used to just wear shades on my face because sometimes when his rhymes used to come on, I used to feel like he was next to me, but I'm like, damn, he's not here, then, you know, Certain rhymes, his vocals will come on, and I like tear up a little bit, but with the with the shades on. So I think it's just gonna forever feel weird, like you know what I mean, just knowing that he's never gonna be there. And that statement just runs through my mind all the time, like he's never gonna be there again. Like I just can't. It's inconceivable. And if you could talk about like how did it happen in, in Las Vegas? Where was it something? Was it an unexpected thing? Was it another flare up that just you know was you know you know extreme? what yeah you know what happened? Um, he was in Miami already doing some kind of event. I was in New York, so we met each other in Las Vegas because we had the show. And when I saw him and spoke to him, he told me that he was he had gotten sick in Miami a little bit, but then he got better. He was able to come to Las Vegas. So I was like, all right, cool. He was perfectly fine to me when I saw him. He he was cool, everything. We went shopping for food. We got some food, blah, 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 blah. But before the show, he said that he didn't feel a little bit too good, but he was able to perform. Uh, we performed. Everything, I mean, i known him for forever, so I would be able to tell. You're if pretty he, sensitive to how he was feeling. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, I would be able to tell if he was sick on stage, you know what I mean? 
So when we was on stage, I couldn't even tell if he was he he performed like regular. But when he got off the stage, he said he wasn't feeling well. So they said, yo, we're gonna take him to the hospital. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I had a flight leaving out the next morning. We all did. But he had to stay, you know, to go to the hospital. And then, you know, yeah. I thought he was gonna be fine. Right. Moving forward, do you have do you have what what what's in your plans in, in terms of now that you've because it seems like maybe in the last couple months in particular mm-hmm. that you've been more active and, and yeah. more present doing more shows and stuff. Yeah. Do you feel yeah, do you feel recharged? Do you feel like, you know, that you're you're moving forward with with a new perspective? Yeah, I just feel like I want to do everything. You know what I mean? And when I when I say everything, like I I mean it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like more DJing, you know, opening my own publishing house where we scoring movies. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just like so many different things I want to do. And I don't think one would be able to do that being silent, right? Like you got to get out there, you got to be active and you got to be more social because I'm not that social. You know what I'm saying? When it, like, if if I could, I'll stay at my house forever. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I, I I go out because I, I know this is, it's good to do. You got to do it. You know what I mean? So, you know, I just put it in my mind. It's like, yo, you know, you got to get up, get out there and, you know, do things, just do stuff. This is who you are. You know what I mean? Just do it. So, the next time we talking, I might be doing something like really crazy that I didn't even know that I was going to be doing. <laughs> but, you know, life is beautiful. Music is wonderful. And there's so many different things that you could do around music. And that's my plans. Hell yeah. I have, I have a question. How did you get involved in Real Friends? Real Friends, somebody contacted my manager at the time, who was my manager Which is a song time. by Kanye, by the way, in case anybody doesn't know. <laughs> just like, yeah, I realize. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, which was, it was mind-blowing to me because he's, Huge artist. And um, I got a call to, uh, you know, work with Kanye. They asked me, they said, oh, do you, is uh, Havoc in L.A.? I'm like, shit, I live in L.A., you know what I mean? At the time, like, so I was like, yeah, no problem. So they was like, oh, you know, come to the house, whatever, whatever. And that's how it happened. They just contacted uh, my manager. Now, before that, for the past three years, I had been submitting beats to him like crazy, but with no response. And when I finally got to uh, Kanye Crib, to make a long story short, he recorded to like four of them. And I never even knew like all those years. Oh, the ones that you had submitted? Yeah. He he was like, listen to this. And I was like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So it was a a dope experience uh, to sit there, you know, with another artist that produces as well. Was it just the two of you in the room? It would be like just three of us, me, him, and his engineer. You yeah. know what I mean? Which, in Calabasas? Yeah, right okay. in Calabasas. Like right there, you know. Uh, I wish I would have took a picture with him at the time, but, you know, it was all work. <laughs> so I could brag, but, you know, I, it was all work. So Yeah, that song's amazing. I mean, I love yeah, that song thank so you. much. Thank you. Would you hear it out a lot, like when it came out? Uh, I would hear it on the radio every now and then. Yeah. Every now and then. And how does that feel? <laughs> amazing. <Yeah. laughs> amazing. Like, you know... You know, uh, I've been in the game for so long, and to still see that, uh, you know, people still want your work is always a good feeling. There is something specifically about the the radio experience of hearing your song on the radio, right? That that never <laughs> does quite get old. It, it doesn't wear off. It never wears off. Like to this day, like uh, if I hear my song on the radio, I don't just be like, "Oh yeah, there it goes again." It? You pump it? <laughs> yeah, fuck that. I turn that <laughs> shit up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Shit. Um, when you think of the best show you've ever performed, what what comes to mind? 
the best show that we ever performed, man. Damn. Well, I would have to say it might have been in, in France, really, man. Okay. Because like good start. Yeah, they they fucking go crazy out there. Like the love was just so crazy. That was one of our best performances. Like, you know, I got it on a somebody sent me a clip of it and just looking at it gives me the chills. Was it uh, a festival or something in Paris? It was a, it was, it was a, a, a theater in Paris oh, okay. called the Bataclan. Oh, yeah, yeah. And a month later, the oh, shit got the... shot up. Oh, it was the... Oh, my God. Soon, a month before. to the day. Oh, I think God. Roberta actually texted me and said, yo, right? Jesus. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, I have a question, actually. Is there anywhere you want to go that you've never been to? Is there anywhere you want to go with music? Like any, any any country, any city? Um, hmm. Where do you want the road to take you to? Uh, well, I would like to go to a country in Africa. Yeah. I've only been to only one country in Africa, that's South Africa, mm-hmm. but I would like to go to like, you know, Ghana, yeah. Nigeria, one of those countries and just really rock out over there because we never, we never did it. We, me and Prodigy only did it one time. I DJed in Malawi one time, and it was a really Amazing, incredible right? experience. Yeah, right. Something I'll remember for the rest I, of my life. Yep, so. yep. And I guess, what are you working on now? Right now, I'm working on a project. I told you about it earlier, but these guys don't want me to say that about okay, it yet. Gotcha. So I'm like, okay, Coming soon. whatever, but it's a great project. If it gets announced before this airs, we'll insert a, right. we'll, we'll yeah. drop it in. We'll I'll drop just it say in. that when you told me about <laughs> it, I got very, very excited. So that's <laughs> right. really nice. Yeah. Dope. So, other than that, I'm working on my album. I just created a new website where I could communicate directly to my fans, which I probably should have did a long time ago, but never late than never. You know what I mean? Doing that. And um, What's the website? It's called uh, mobdeephavoc.com. Nice. So, I got some content on there where, you know, I'm doing interviews, telling stories, this, that, and the third. You know, stuff that the average fan probably don't hear every day or know about me. So I got that going and you know, whatever else just making beats in the crib. Nice. And are you touring anytime soon? Got anything coming up? Um, Yeah, we got a, a loud 25th anniversary show coming up October 11th. And before that we perform in October 5th in uh, Ontario, California. It's a festival. Merz is performing. Oh, nice. As well, yeah. Merz, Merz came to a very early Vampire Weekend show oh, oh, in yeah, LA. He's yeah. friends with our producer, Art. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Nah, d- good, good dude. Yeah, I, I saw him play at Irving Plaza when I was like, I don't know, 18 years oh, old. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah? Out here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Irving Plaza. Yeah, yeah, in New York, yeah. Wow. That's like right around the corner from here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so we have a couple questions that we're, we sort of asked everybody that are a little bit more specific. Mm-hmm. So to follow on the best show, what would you think of as the worst show that you guys have had? The worst show that we ever had Man, I can't remember the specific place, but I could definitely remember the feeling. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's because you blocked out some of the details. <laughs> yeah, if not the I think that's experience. like a defense mechanism. Like, so I remember performing at this place. I, I forget where it was. States. And it, uh, it was States. definitely in okay. the states, and the crowd was just. It had to be down south somewhere. It might have been in like New Orleans or something like that. And the crowd was just standing there like this the whole time. <laughs> Just like not moving. Was it your own show or were you opening? It it was our own show. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? We should have knew something was up when it was only like 30 people in the crowd. But 
we still perform our asses off, even if it's only 30 people in the crowd. You know what I mean? It's like, yo. And I remember Prodigy specifically performing way more harder than he usually does just because it was only 30 people there. You know what I mean? And that's just what type of person he was. That's a very, I mean, that's probably the best possible reaction to that is to like, right, just almost like, even as a, as a fuck you kind of. A <laughs> right, like, right. They don't know you yeah, say fuck yeah. you, but yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying? But it wasn't really fuck you. I, I, to, I mean, to, to the people Orleans. that aren't there. Like, right, to so the they, people they that leave, aren't yeah, there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. Totally. But, you know, that shit happens. <laughs> you know that is I mean? true. And then the, and the more you turn, the more experience you get, you, you're able to forget certain experiences and you know that there's another one tomorrow or there's right. another it's right. not every show is sort of this make or break feeling right right it's like you know most of them are good and sometimes you just catch a dub like you know some of them just be like right, right, right. <laughs> like fuck it we got paid right the money's in the account come on let's get the fuck out of here <laughs> uh, what uh, a rider which is sort of the backstage stuff mm-hmm. what do you find is over the years has been your your favorite rider request Oh, the favorite rider request. <laughs> hmm. I guess the Grey Goose in, in, in the Hennessy. Okay, you know what nice. I'm saying? The Grey Goose in the Hennessy. Which I, I don't even really fuck with no more because that should have you fucked up and <laughs> you'll you'll think you're performing, but you're not performing. You know what I mean? Um, what is your what comes to mind as your favorite venue that you've ever performed in? The favorite venue that uh, I ever performed in, I would have to say MSG. We performed with uh, with G-Unit at the time. You oh, wow. Wow. You know like I mean? the height of G-Unit? Yeah, at the time when they was like, yeah, oh, they, was, they was really up there. How crazy was that show? It was just bananas, you know what I mean? Because I'd never performed in uh, MSG before, you know what I mean? And uh and to be home in New York, you know, mm-hmm. at the, at the time, and and then people loved, you know, the few songs that we did do. That was one of my favorite moments. What uh, do you have any? Because as we're sitting here, Chris and I are performing at Madison Square Garden tomorrow for the, right. our first time. Right. Do you have any any tips or advice? <laughs> yeah. can... Don't fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. I think that's a great place to end it. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. Thank thank y'all, man. Thank y'all. Appreciate it. Cool. Well, that was our conversation with the great and extremely generous Havoc. CT, I gotta ask, and we talked about this a little bit last week. Did you fuck up at MSG? A couple times, but again, I think nothing, (laughs) nothing that derailed the show and, uh, in the best way, maybe nothing that took away from my enjoyment. I didn't think I fucked up in a way that I was like feeling guilty or bad afterwards. And I know I said this last week, but listening back, I do think this is probably my favorite interview that we did this season. He just was such a cool guy, and I felt like I learned so much from him. And granted, again, I love all 10 episodes of the first season. Yeah, the road taken like tuned. my 10 children. Stay tuned. And there's we got six more to go, but it just was... Um, yeah, I don't know. I loved it. Anything else you want to say about that conversation? Uh... Again, I want to say thanks to Roberta, my neighbor and connection to Havoc for for helping us out and hooking us up. And uh, yeah, all the best to Havoc. And if he, if he comes to your town and whether it's his own touring or with Big Noid or whomever he's on the road with, mm-hmm. um, you should go check him out. It's a great show. Um, we're recording this today, uh, October 20th in the great city of Monterrey and the great you don't nation to, of Mexico. You what? Do you don't want to try to roll those R's? Monterrey? <laughs> I mean, you did it so beautifully. Why do I need to do it? Um, is this our first 
arguably breakfast podcast record. This is the earliest we've ever recorded. I think for sure, yeah. 10.45 a.m., October 20th, Monterey, Mexico. We played last night at the Live Out Festival. How was it for you, man? You know, we're like, actually, I want to check in with you more on this pod. Like, how are you doing? You know, we see each other all day, but we're traveling. Much like the the conversations that we've had with with other people, yeah. I think you kind of chop it up. It stays surface level often, and we don't yeah, often exactly, check but in. But I want to so. go a little deeper today. Like, how are you feeling, man, physically? You know, we played hour and a half last night. It was quite hot on the stage. Great, great crowd. But yeah, how you doing, man? Can I be honest with you? Please. I don't know if this is too personal for this podcast. Listen, but, just um, open up as much as you want to. It's not bad, but my stomach didn't have a great day yesterday. Oh, okay. And I was a little bit nervous <laughs> how I was going to do for a full 90 on stage. Yeah. So it took care of what I needed to take care of right before we went on stage. Okay, nice. Um, but then I, I didn't ingest anything. During the, the show. Including water, which as yeah, you mentioned, yeah. it was quite humid. So yeah, I was kind of running out of steam by the end because I didn't. Huh. I figured... I figured better dehydrated than uh, shitting my pants. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Is that too personal, do you think? No, not at all. (laughs) I mean, I I think that when things are going really good, you're just in the moment and uh, you lose yourself in the music. But the reality is so much of playing live, you're thinking of like mundane things or just things you don't want to do. Like, you know, when we were talking about before MSG, not having your ass crack show when people were behind you. Or not pooing yourself. I mean, these are things that, granted, playing music for a huge screaming crowd is a life-affirming thing, but you also have really specific things you don't want to do and things that you're thinking about sometimes. And I'd like to just say that that's not like a, a normal calculus that I have to make in terms of drinking water or <laughs> pants pooing, as you put not it. Not every, every single um, day. But the show in particular yesterday, that was that was kind of what was going through my mind. But okay. as a show, I thought the crowd was incredible, actually. Yeah. The, you know, there's always certain songs get get bigger reactions relatively, but the big ones were even bigger, and even the ones that are even sort of middle were were really big. And you know, what a treat to go on right after the offspring. Oh yeah, that was so cool. Yeah, I guess yeah, I always love playing in Mexico. It's one of my top countries, and uh, I would say yeah, both shows we played Guadalajara the night before, both were really good. Today we're flying to Mexico City for the last two shows of the tour. But um, yeah, I don't know. I've been enjoying myself eating my way through this great country. I haven't had your issues. Um, but, you know, whatever. Anyways, I think it's time to go Let's to... Let's move on, shall we? Let's move on. I, I agree. There's a little too much yeah, too much of that talk. But anyways, um, I think it's time to go to our legendary mailbag segment of the road to yeah, I tried to get the code to log yeah, into yeah. Gmail, but it didn't come. So you still had to pick it out. Sorry. Are you able to get into your own personal email or are you off the grid completely? 75% of the time. <laughs> we have to send, I have to send you a note in the mail before we tape one of these to yeah. get, get, get you on the grid. That's how off the grid you are. Um, so if you have any questions about touring or really anything at all, please send us a message at the road taken at the ringer.com. CT will not be reading them. At no, least I'm, as I'm, of I'm now. working on it. I'm, it's, he's it's, working. I'm working he's on it. A, he's got a whole team working on it. Um, I, I have two that I wanted to pick for for two? this week. Two. One is from an OG VW fan. Okay. Someone who for years would ask on Twitter what people's favorite Gatorade was. Oh, Lively Addison. Addison Lively. That's right. Shout out to Addison. Um, Just a huge, great, great fan who had this great question. Good afternoon to Bayo and CT. And it's this two-part question, but I'll read the first question. You want a question, answer, question, answer? Yeah, that's how we'll do it. Question, question, answer. Okay. For your podcast, which I've thoroughly enjoyed thus far, I have a small question regarding the name of the show. 
Who decided on the order of the names in the title? Ever since I was 14, nearing 23 now, I've always recited your names as Bayo and CT, never CT and Bayo. Because I became so comfortable with that order, CT and Bayo really throws me off, but I'm willing to adjust after we hear the decision-making process, if there is one. Um, we talked about potential titles, but I thought CT and Bayo was better because it honors the origins of the project, which is that this was your idea. Yeah, I... I thought there was some degree of of the ring to it with the row taken and CT and Bayo. It was initially my idea, but you know, I, br- I brought you on the project really Thanks, early. Man. Thanks, I brought brother. you on the project you, really early. <laughs> there was an open call auditions in Los Angeles in the yeah. summer of 2018. Um, yeah, I, I guess that was mainly it. Was there a better reason? <laughs> no, that's. I mean, that was that was definitely my thinking. But I love how it looks. I love how it sounds. But uh, you know, I thought that was a good question. And then. Her second question was, I also have a more content-related question. What's the most interesting quirk or cultural difference you've come across while touring a city country, as in a quirk difference specific to that place? Thanks, guys. Addison. Wow. That's a that's an all-encompassing question, something to ponder for a second. Oh, yeah. I guess my first thought is the, the very politeness of Japanese crowds. Maybe, oh, yeah. you know, I think often in when you're playing a show, there's a certain rumble, a certain audible rumble mm-hmm. between songs, getting drinks, talking, blah, 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 whatever, you know, whatever the, the audience noise is, which they're well within their rights to be making. But I think in Japan, particularly in the club shows and, and the first few you played, I remember being almost jarring when you play a song there was a reaction a very positive reaction yeah and then it sort of dies down and there's an expectant silence sort of waiting for the next one yeah um which i guess is you know when you're in that between moment which we talked a little bit about with laura marling and i wrote about in the annotations on the ringer.com that those in-between song moments are interesting yeah because i think that you know a concert is built on not silence that whenever there is silence it feels very awkward and feels almost like incorrect so I think the first couple of club shows in Japan, it was sort of realizing that that was more a part of a live experience there, was a little mm-hmm. bit of silence and expectation. Yeah, the one that I thought of was definitely, and we, we've talked about this before, but I don't think on mic is how good Portuguese crowds are mm-hmm. at clapping because... Metronomic. Clapping is a big part of an audience uh, experience for a lot of live music. And the thing is, when drums are playing, the clappers tend to clap with the drums because... Drums are the rhythmic, most rhythmic instrument on the stage. When the drums stop playing, sometimes the clappers get really excited and speed up a lot. I think this happens in more places than not. But in Portugal, there's no speeding up. Stays steady as hell. It's like there's a second or third drummer in the crowd when you're playing in Portugal. So that's one that we've been struck by that I think is pretty, it's it's impressive. And the clapping when it's... And, you know, I, I have my tempo issues personally anyways. <laughs> yeah. But um, when sometimes when it breaks down, often clapping comes when it's broken down to, like, say, just a kick drum. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're playing something. For instance, in, our, in the song off the last album, Sympathy, which we've been playing a lot, yeah, yeah. there's a point where it breaks down to just the two of us. And I actually purposely close my eyes during that part because if I'm visually watching, even though it's my time to shine, baby, oh, they're yeah. clapping along to me. There is sort of some sort of meta aspect to that if I was really wanting to drink it in. But because I want that tempo to stay steady, as <laughs> I close my eyes so I don't see if people are, you know, the visual of clapping faster or slower or something would, would kind of short circuit me to some extent. But I think, yeah, I would not have to do that in Portugal. Absolutely. And then another question from someone named Alex. 
Hi, huge fan of the band and really enjoyed your guys' solo stuff. Congrats. My question is about entrance music, the track playing while you enter the stage. VW appears to have had quite a range. Do you have a favorite track to enter the stage to? I don't know about favorite, but the again, we're kind of going first thought, best thought on these. Is, yeah, yeah. Uh, is All I Do Is Win. That's my choice, okay. too. Yeah. I think because that had a little bit of a... Uh, By DJ Khaled, if in case anybody doesn't know, featuring a bunch of artists, including Ludacris and... Uh, we may we only ever got to the ludicrous verse because that's true. You yeah, know, it's walk on music, so it so it comes down. But yeah, because there was a bit of a theatrical element, which is <laughs> something rare for us. Where we would, if you know the song, or if you don't, you check it out. There's a part where where I believe it's T Pain is the is the yeah hook. yeah right does the hook. And what does he say? Everybody hands go up, and there's a pause. You put your hands up, and they stay there. And then you bring it back down yeah, when yeah. the beat drops again, and and then you're sort of moving on with the show. I guess that one sticks out because that was. Uh, yeah, there was there was like a little bit to it. It also is a very bombastic piece of music, and there's something nice about walking on stage with a little bit of bombast. Um, thank you for your questions, as always. Thank Keep you, Alex, coming. and Lively Addison. The road taken at theringer.com. Um, you know, I said last week we were going to stop plugging the socials, but I'm you feeling generous. Keep Let's keep plugging the socials. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> what, what are your socials, bro? I'm the real CT one. Numeral one on the Twitter and uh, Dams of the West on Instagram. And I am my last name backwards, Oyeb, O-I-A-B, on both platforms. Do you think we should keep plugging the socials or do you think we got to stop plugging the socials? Maybe we should this like, one? plug some guest socials, like Mob Deep Havoc on Instagram, say. Oh, go, yeah. Go, okay. go check him out. Right. Yeah, check him out. Who we got next week on the pod? Uh, I believe Ray. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay, right. Nice, man. nice. So, and who is Ray? What's the episode about? I love this episode. Um, yeah, that was a, a great talk we had in CNC Music Factory with Ray Swen, who, yeah. as we get into, sometimes these terms, depending on the person, are either accepted or inappropriate. But Ray loves the term hired gun. And he is, is someone who we met a long time ago when he was playing for the Killers, but has since gone on to play with the Flaming Lips, Lord, Childish Gambino bunch of others and uh it's a super informative episode so definitely check it out also as always like and subscribe and uh we'd like to leave you with a quote from the famous advice columnist carrie bradshaw so many roads so many detours so many choices so many mistakes as we drive along this road called life occasionally a gal will find herself a little lost and when that happens i guess she has to let go of the coulda shoulda woulda Buckle up and just keep going. Thank you.